0: Transforming ministry is what we're thinking about here today. Acts 16 is a very significant chapter, not just in this book, but very significant in the history of the world. Here we have the first time the gospel comes to Europe and the first time a church is formed on the continent of Europe. Uh, Acts 16, I have to say, is a very significant chapter to me personally, several times God has powerfully spoken to me through this chapter, and some of these things I will share in this sermon. But as we look at it here today, the first thing we see is the new direction in verses 6 to 10. Paul is here on his second missionary journey. He is traveling west through what today is the country of Turkey. He visited Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, which he had visited on his first journey. But then we come to these strange few verses, beginning at verse 6, which says, And when they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. You see a wee map here that says, So from Antioch, Paul wanted to travel west to cities like Ephesus, Miletus, Smyrna, and Colossae, but he is prevented from doing that by the Holy Spirit. Now, how that worked out in practice, how the Spirit stopped him, we're not told. But Paul can't go there to Asia. Instead, he travels northwest from Antioch along the border between Asia and Bithynia. And it says there in verse 7, And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So Paul now wants to go north into the region of Bithynia to share the gospel there, what today is North Turkey. But he's forbidden again by the Spirit to do that. And I'm sure by the time Paul reached Troas, he was frustrated. He attempts to minister in different regions. Twice he has been thwarted in this. But then things change. In verse 9 and 10, we have this vision he had, and this man from Macedonia in the vision saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. That's to the west across the Aegean Sea. And so the vision is calling on Paul to take a very different direction, to cross the Aegean Sea and for his ministry to continue there. And God has been basically shutting doors in Paul's ministry in order to take him in a new direction. And now he needs to be open to this. And you know, we need as individuals, we need as a church to be open to God's call for new direction at times. A new direction of ministry, a new direction of service, a new direction in our lives. Fourteen years ago, on the sixteenth of May, it was a Friday morning, I was sitting in my study in Moy, preparing the sermon for Sunday, Sunday morning. And I was very interested in just what happened to Paul here and this emphasis on a new direction. And one of the reasons why I was particularly interested in it was the night before I had been interviewed by the Kirk Session here in Brookside. And you can imagine that. I'd been off that week. I came. I was interviewed in Brookside. We traveled home. And I was preparing a sermon. I was the big emphasis about a new direction, and that called to come and help from the Macedonian, and I had a great sense that God was in this, and that night, uh, the Reverend Preston rang me to say I was being asked to be sole nominee here, and so I had a great sense that this was God's will. We were very comfortable in Moy. Our first child was on the way, and we lived in a lovely situation But God was calling us to step out into the unknown. Uh, You mightn't think Brookside's scary, but when you don't know it from outside, it is. And yet God was calling us to do that. And you know, getting a new direction at times is important. We can't just always do the same old, same old in our lives. And sometimes even, you have to embrace a new direction or die even you see a, a picture come up of a, of a man called Darren Harrison. I don't know if you read about his story this week. He was a, a passenger on a single-engine Cessna plane traveling towards Florida when, to his great horror, the, the pilot passed out. And there's just two passengers on the plane. There's no co-pilot. And here, this man Darren, he had never Flown a plane before. And when the pilot passed out, the plane went into a nosedive. Now, he couldn't say there, Well, I've never been a pilot before, so I'm not going to try to be a pilot. I'm not going to try something new. I'm not going to go in a new direction. No, he went and he grabbed the joystick to pull the plane up. And then he made contact with air traffic control, who thankfully had on their staff someone who trained people how to fly eh, even planes like this. And Darren, with her guidance, was enabled to land the plane, which was absolutely amazing given the situation. But he had a choice when that pilot passed out to go in a new direction or die. If you're not a Christian, if you're someone who has never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior as Lord... That's your choice. Your life is in a nosedive. You're about to hit the deck. You need to go in a new direction or die. Not just in this life, but that eternal death in hell. This is somber, but we have to be open to that. We have to be open, if you're not a Christian, to a new direction or die. Sometimes even as a church, that's true for us as well. So, the new direction in verses 6 to 10. The second thing we see then here as Paul comes to Philippi is the ministry to women in verses 11 to 18. He takes off his ministry to this group of women. We see there in verse 13 it says, On the Sabbath day he went outside the gate to the riverside where he supposed there was a place of prayer and sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, in our modern setting where it's not unusual for a group of women to come together and to be taught by a man and to be taught the Word of God, we don't realize how radical and even controversial this is. First of all, for Paul to speak to women in public was not accepted in Jewish culture. And it was even more controversial in Jewish society— to teach women from the Scripture. It was frowned upon. You don't teach women. What's the point of teaching women the Word of God, teaching women the Bible? You don't do that. But Paul was not going to be tied by what was the previous norm. And the breakthrough here in Philippi came first through this faithful Bible teaching to these women. Verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And so, this great verse, it just reminds us clearly how salvation is an act of God. you notice what it said? The Lord opened her heart and caused her to accept the message to believe. The human heart is so hardened by sin, we will never respond to the gospel. We would never accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It will stay closed. It will stay shut. It will stay locked until God bursts in by His grace, by His Holy Spirit, to open our hearts to accept the message. Has this happened to you? Has your heart been opened to Jesus? Have you come to Jesus? If you have come to Jesus, remember this. The reason why you came was His grace in opening your heart. Lydia is transformed and her open heart. We see here leads to an open house in verse 15. And after she is baptized and her household as well, she urges, us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. We see that the church here in Philippi began in this lady Lydia's home. We next have this incident with the slave girl who was possessed with an evil spirit through which she engaged in fortune telling. It says there in verse 16. Now let's be clear about what she was able to do and what she was not able to do as a fortune teller. No one knows the future, except God. The devil doesn't know the future, and the devil cannot give anyone the power to know the future. And so no one, no fortune teller, can tell you your future, or the stars you read in the paper. But what demons can enable a fortune teller to do is to know facts about you that no one else knows. Because demons, they have a knowledge, they interact, they are watching you, and they will know things about you. You come and meet this stranger, and they will be able to tell this lady things about you. And you're so amazed that she is able to say that you have a, an uncle who died recently, or you got a bit of money recently, or whatever. You're blown away, and you think, oh, she can tell the future. She can't. Through demons, she can tell stuff about you and is able to fool you through that. Now, some fortune tellers, it's just a total hoax. They have no powers. It's just predicting things and so vague. But there are fortune tellers who do have a power to learn about you from evil spirits. But Paul here is greatly disturbed by this girl following him and constantly crying out. And he commands the evil spirit to leave her. And here we see the victory of Jesus in her life. The evil spirit is cast out. She is freed from this control of evil. But you can imagine, her owners are not happy. But what we see here in Philippi is that the church was formed and change would come to this city. How did it begin? It began with this ministry by Paul among these women women who were undervalued, women who you don't teach the gospel to, these women, it was crucial, they were used for the formation of this church and the transformation of this society society here in Philippi. And women's ministry must never be undervalued. So the ministry to the women, transformed by the gospel, by the teaching, of the word of God. And then we have the opposition to change. In verse 19 it says, But when her owners saw that their hope again was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, and when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. The gospel changes things. It changes things not just for the person who saved, it changes things for those who are close to the saved person. And the owners of the slave girl are furious. Their trade is gone. Their lives have been turned upside down by this gospel. The gospel has confronted the evil in their lives, and they don't like it. These men talk of Paul and Silas as disturbing the city. The reality was their life of sin and wickedness was now confronted with the power of Jesus and the gospel. And the power of the gospel changes individuals' lives. The power of the gospel changes the life of society. That's wonderful, but it's not always popular. you see a wee picture coming up of the New Hebrides, which is east of Australia. And we were thinking about this actually on Sunday night about a, a missionary called John Patton, who went there many years ago. In more recent times, there's a group of very liberal missionaries. When I say liberal, they didn't really believe the gospel. And basically, they were doing acts of kindness, but basically, they were more like sociologists than they were missionaries. They were being interviewed about their work, and they bemoaned the fact that indeed the gospel. And the first missionaries who had come to these islands, they had been used to change the whole culture of these islands. And they said this was an absolute disgrace, that these missionaries came and imposed a new culture upon the culture that already existed. And then the man who was interviewing, who I don't think was a Christian, said to these liberal missionaries, but... When the first missionaries came, were these people not cannibals? In other words, they ate each other. And when John Patton was one of the first missionaries came to there, his life was under threat. We were thinking last Sunday night of how he had been protected by angels. When he was there, his, his wife gave birth to a child. She died of fever, and about a month later, the child died as well. And he had to protect their graves from these cannibals, so they wouldn't be eaten. That's how terrible it was. But that all changed. The whole culture changed. It changed them into being civilized people in the eyes of God. And yet, there are some people who just didn't like the change. Understand this. If you don't want to be changed, don't become a Christian. Because Jesus is this uncomfortable way of pointing out in your life again and again things that have to change. Now back in Philippi here, the the slave girl's owners, they drag Paul and Silas before the magistrates because their life had been impacted by the gospel. They tell lies about them. They stir up the crowd against them. And this results in Paul and Silas being badly beaten with rods and thrown into prison. And here we see that gospel ministry faces opposition. Ministry which calls for change in people's lives will face opposition. I mentioned how this chapter was very significant to me when I was called to be minister here. Going back even a number of years before that, when I was a student for the minister, Sheriff and I were on holiday one week, and in Scotland, we were coming back on a Saturday. I was preaching in a church in County Down. I, I didn't know the church, I didn't know the minister, but I'd been asked to go in to do a service. He was on holiday, and what often ministers would do in those situations, we would go and we had preached something we had preached before. But the whole time I was on holiday, I had no pace to preach what I had thought about preaching. So, when I was on holiday every morning, I got up early and worked on a sermon. I was led to Acts 16, and particularly this point of opposition for the gospel. Opposition when the gospel brings change to people's lives and to a church. I didn't know the minister, I didn't know the churches. And I preached it that Sunday to two churches. I think it was after the first service, a lady came out absolutely furious. I think she said something like, I hope you preach that to yourself, whatever she meant by that. After the second service, a couple waited behind to talk to me, a lovely Christian couple. And she says, William, how did you know what was going on here? Well, I says, "I, I don't know what's going on here. And apparently the minister had been facing terrible opposition. He was an evangelical. They didn't like the way his ministry was so Bible-based and the way it was leading him. And he faced that opposition. That's reality. And we need to be prepared for that. If we're going to be faithful to Jesus, if we're going to live for Jesus, if we're going to do that, we will rub against those around us. We will challenge the way people do things which is not biblical. We will challenge people's lives, and there will be opposition. And then the fourth thing we see here, which is the marvelous conversion in verses 25 to 34. How Paul and Silas respond to their ill treatment was wonderful. Verse 25, at midnight they were singing praise to the Lord. It was while in prison somewhere else, Later on, that Paul would write back to the Christians in Philippi and use those words, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Even though they had been beaten, even though the situation looked bleak, they had a confidence in God, a confidence in God's love, a confidence in God's plan in this terrible situation. And that was well rewarded. We have the earthquake, the doors all fly off the hinges, the chains are all opened, Then we have the terrified jailer. If he lost any prisoner, he would have been executed. So his life would have been over. But what happened was they didn't leave. Paul and Silas call out to him and says, we haven't gone, which probably frightened him even more. And here we have that wonderful question he asks in verse 30. came in trembling. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It took an earthquake, literally, in this man's life. It took the prospect of his own death to shake him so much that he would ask that question. If you're avoiding that question about salvation, what will it take to shake you up? Near death? Illness? Bereavement? The loss of a job? I hope God brings that to you rather than let you, if you're not a Christian, gently and peacefully go on the road to damnation. You need to ask that question. If you're not a Christian, you need to think about that. What must I do to be saved? How can I be right with God? How can my sin be taken away from me? How can I face my maker one day? Those are the most important questions in life. And then we have this glorious answer in verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And Paul's answer is, it's not about what you do. It's about trusting in what Jesus has done. It's relying on Him. It's realizing there's nothing you can bring to this party. There's nothing you can bring to your salvation. You have to trust that Jesus is your only hope. He has done it all on the cross of Calvary. Trust in Him. Not believe in Jesus. Not just believing that He lived and He died. That's not enough. You have to entrust your life to Him. You have to come and accept He's your only hope and embrace Him in faith. Has that happened to you? Have you come to embrace Jesus? Listen, dear friends. You can be a good person a very moral person, a very kind person. That will not get you to heaven. Jesus is the only way. And this made such a wonderful difference to the jailer. Remember what Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved, you and your household. His family came to faith as well. His family were baptized. They were filled with joy, it says here, because they had all come to trust in Jesus. Understand this, when you come to Jesus, it will impact you, it will impact your family as well. It should impact everyone that knows you. I think it was Calvin said that if you become a Christian, even your dog should be able to tell the difference. It will have such an impact on others' lives. And understand this. Maybe what's holding you back from becoming a Christian is what your family will think. Surely you love your family. Surely you want your family to be in heaven one day. The best way you can work towards that is you coming to trust in Jesus yourself. One very final point, the determination to change in verses 35 to 40. Paul and Silas, they have their wounds cared for by the jailer. They go back and have to spend time in prison. The next day, the, the police come and basically say that Paul and Silas can go. And Paul is stubborn. He says, No. He was a Roman citizen, which gave him certain rights. And he had not been condemned in a court case. He had been beaten. He had been put in prison without a proper trial. And he says, tell the magistrates, if they want me to go, they need to come back and lead me out. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been tempted just to, let's get out of here. Uh, Let's not wait till they change their mind. Why does he do this? Well, it's not that he's being awkward. It's not that he's being stubborn. He's wanting to protect this new young church in Philippi. And the magistrates coming back, be forced to come back, recognizing they'd worked against the law, this was Paul's way of protecting the new church under Roman law. If he just creeped out like a convict, The church would have been in a dire situation. But the magistrates coming and accepting the done wrong and leading him out, that would protect the future of the church. And so they say to him, okay, we'll lead you out, but please go. And does he go? Not straight away. He goes, in verse 40, he goes to the house of Lydia, he encourages the brothers there, he speaks to them, and then when it suits him, he leaves. He's made such an important point. But you see what he was focused on? He was focused on even staying where he was, not giving in, not just being told what to do, but being determined to stand what is right for the good of the people of God. You know, it's not just what is the most convenient. It's not just what is the most comfortable for me. to should guide our decisions is what is best for the people of God. How can I support? How can I encourage? How can I help my brothers and sisters in Christ? And sometimes that means saying no. You have to take things seriously. I'm not changing my position. Because from God's truth, I know my position is right. Hope you loved love this lovely passage today. The new direction, the ministry to women, the opposition to change, the marvelous conversion, the determination to change. Isn't it wonderful? We have this gospel that changes us to get us ready for glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the wonderful story of what your gospel did in Philippi all those years ago. And Father, we would long to see that impact in a huckle today. We long to see women whose hearts are opened by the power of Jesus. We long to see young people who are delivered from evil. We long to see men asking that question, what must I do to be saved? We long to see your church grow Father, give us confidence in Jesus. Give us confidence in the gospel. Give us confidence in your word. And Lord, build your church. Build it here in Brookside. Build it in this village and community. And don't let the gates of hell prevail against it. Amen.